So hello and welcome to CRU's latest sustainability podcast with me, your host, Charlie Durant. For the next 15 minutes, we will explore one of the big sustainability questions of the day. And this episode, we're going to be looking at the energy transition. And we're going to really get under the skin of what this might mean for coal, copper and aluminium markets. Joining me today, I have Dmitry Popov to provide the coal perspective and Martin Jackson, a senior analyst in CRU's aluminium team. And I will be providing some perspective from CRU's copper research. So over the next quarter of an hour, join us as we examine who is set to win, who is set to lose, and what the changing global energy systems might mean for these markets. So Dimitri, coal and gas prices have risen sharply. In your view, is this because of the rising share of renewables? Hi, Charlie. Um, I think that's um, not really the case. I think um, if if we didn't have uh, increasing share of the renewables, then demand for fossil fuels would have been even bigger than it is today, and these shortages um, could be even even more, uh, and could have caused prices to um, well skyrocket even earlier or for longer periods of time. I think um, for coal specifically, there have been um, several issues um, that have constrained supply growth this year as the demand has been recovering um, across the world from the pandemic lows. And specifically in China, demand has grown very strongly. Um, And um, in terms of the supply constraints, in the, in the seabond market, we've seen that, uh, for example, South African exports have been um, have fallen by 16% this year, and that's be- been because of the um, railway logistics issue in the country. Um, in Indonesia, exports have been growing, but uh, they they have been affected by wet weather throughout the year, and also COVID-19. Uh, spread among the um, labor at the mines has also um, affected the production and how quickly um, mining companies were able to increase production, so not sufficiently quickly. Um, And also, for example, the freight market, the shipping market has been um, very tight this year um, because, again, because of COVID-19 measures, uh, anti-COVID-19 measures across um, the world at different ports. And that's increased loading and unloading times uh, for ships and how long they spend at um, at the uh, at the ports. So all of that resulted in uh, in um, in tight supply and um, exports not growing um, quickly enough. And um, also from the demand side, there there has um, been another fact is that hydro generation has been very weak across the world. Um, so in China, in India, um, and in other parts of the world. And that's basically meant that more coal generation had to, um, uh, more, more electricity had to be generated from coal power plants. Um, so overall, this has created this very um, tight market. Um, but as, yeah, kind of as we discussed in, um, in, our, in our reports, um, in thermal coal market outlook, we think that um, this is a short-term situation and prices will come back down uh, quite sharply, but only after the winter period in, um, in the winter um, hemisphere. That's really interesting, Dimitri. So my key takeaway from that was that there's a plethora of reasons 
it's no one specific factor that, that's driven this and also that if you look outside of energy markets there's some forms of supply crunches as well so i think that's a really interesting point now martin turning to aluminium um there's always the old the old joke in the aluminium industry that it's actually uh solidified energy so in terms of the the aluminium production side how is the energy crunch impacting supplies um and do you think this is going to probably incentivize a longer term shift yeah so electricity is a really really important part of uh, production for aluminium um one of the largest costs at about 38 percent of the of the global average cost to produce aluminium um, and it's also the most important source of competitive advantage. If you look at Illumina, for example, it's, it's traded on the open market and there's, there's not much of a differential uh, in cost for producers. But electricity, very, very important. Um, specifically in China at the moment, we're seeing a lot of power shortages. Uh, but it's very interesting to note that uh, on the supply side, um, we've seen 3.3 million tons of curtailments on in production um, and 95, 96% of that has come from uh, another energy issue. Um, and this is surrounding China's um, uh, ambition to, to curb its energy consumption. Um, part of its five-year plan uh, was to reduce energy consumption by 18% and, and emissions intensity of GDP by 13.5%. Uh, by 2025. Um, and in line with that, the government has asked producers in various provinces to reduce their their energy consumption. So um, we've seen some very large uh, production curtailments uh, coming out of Yunnan and Guangxi um, and several other provinces as well. So um, not only do we have this issue of power shortages, but more severely on the supply side at least, um, we're seeing a lot of curtailments due to these energy uh, consumption curbs. So if you add up both the, the power shortages and those, those energy consumption curbs, um, we're seeing a, a very quick change uh, in the industry. And interestingly, it's not um, on the primary side, it's encouraging consumption of recycled aluminium and this is really important in China because there's been a surplus of primary aluminium over the last decade. Um, suddenly uh, producers are realizing there's a huge unlocked potential in recycled aluminium um, and we are seeing a lot of investments on the recycled side um, as also from from primary producers too. So that's a really interesting change in the in the industry and I think this is going to um, not is this not only going to happen in China but around the world? Thanks, Martin. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And fortunately, we've got a whole podcast that we're going to dedicate to that um, upcoming. I suppose the, from the copper perspective, it's slightly different. We we haven't necessarily seen so much of a crunch on the supply side as yet, but then copper is not as energy intensive to produce as as, as aluminium. Um, and I suppose really in terms of the energy transition, where we're seeing the effect in the copper market at the moment is on the demand side. Um, I think that's probably something we'll get onto a bit later on. But this year, probably about 5% of the copper market is going to be from 
green applications, be they EVs, grid upgrades, or or renewable energy. Um, and yeah, a little stop to EVs there as well. We've got another podcast on that. So I thought it was nice to, to slide that in. So I'm going to throw it back to you now, uh, Dimitri. In terms of the latest developments in the thermal coal market, um, shortage, which is a word that you, you mentioned a couple mm. of times, do you think this is to do with underinvestment? And does that mean long-term higher prices? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, as I mentioned in my um, earlier answer, I think a lot um, this year has come from um, the supply bottlenecks and uh, various issues. Uh, so I mentioned railway issues in South Africa, wet weather, uh, COVID-19 uh, affecting production in Indonesia. Um, the shipping market is very tight, again, because of the anti-COVID-19 measures at ports and um, this quick recovery in demand after the pandemic. So I think a lot of these factors are, are short term and kind of we've never experienced before um, because um, because of the uh, like kind of um, consequences of um, the pandemic. Um, I think there is some effect of um, underinvestment or maybe uncertainty of coal producers about the long term future because now they're seeing prices um, are so high, but um, I think there is a lot of uncertainty how long that will last. And um, compared to previous cycles, um, I think a lot of miners are not willing to um, invest into new capacities or increase production uh, quickly enough um, because, again, yeah, they don't. There is a lot of uncertainty and um, how long this um, strong demand will last. And um, as kind of our, our long-term view, which um, we look in our long-term reports is that um, the demand for coal will still be declining. And um, what we're experiencing now is a, a short-term factor. And generally across the world, there is enough coal capacity, uh, existing operating capacity uh, to meet that demand in the, in the long term to 2040. Um, so actually we think that there is not um, a long-term shortage of uh, of coal, and um, this situation will um, come to to an end um, next um, next year. Okay, that's interesting. And I suppose from one long term there to another, Martin, I'm going to have to ask you a little bit on the the long term side for the aluminium market. So, really, I suppose my question is, how much is I suppose the demand side of the market going to be changed? as fuel mixes change and as renewables take a, take a larger share? Thanks. So, yeah, I, I love this topic. I, we um, dive into a lot of detail on this, uh, on the aluminium long-term outlook, and it's really important for the aluminium market. When you look at um, traditional forms of electricity generation, uh, be it coal, gas, nuclear, um, these are very energy dense uh, infrastructures. Um, so, there is not a massive need for metals in that in that form of power generation. Um, in terms of per megawatt, you might be looking at you know um, 100, 100 to 500 kilograms per per megawatt of of capacity in that power generation. But as soon as you move to more dispersed forms of power generation, and I'm talking about um, wind or solar parks, these are really spread out. Um, they require a vast, uh, a, a very 
um, different amount of uh, of metal, and um, uh, it's it's amazing to see how much more will be required um, on the on the wind side. At least uh, it might be two to three point six um, tons of aluminium for every um, megawatt of power generation capacity. Um, it's very different for onshore and offshore. Um, uh, and on the solar side, um, you can either either have solar panels mounted on on roofs, um, which require um, aluminium brackets for that mounting, um, or they might be ground mounted, and those are typically um, steel uh, ground brackets. Uh, so um, on the uh, commercial side, if they are mounted on rooftops, then you might be looking at 17 to 20 tons of aluminium for every megawatt. Um, and uh, if it's ground mounted with a steel bracket, maybe seven and a half tons uh, of aluminium for every megawatt. Um, and you're not even talking about the uh, uh, the connections between uh, those solar panels and connecting that to the grid. So really, it's quite a big, big uh, increase in aluminium demand when you move towards solar and wind. Um, forecasts uh, for sustainable uh, energy generation vary quite a lot. But if you had to use IRENA's forecast, uh, they estimate estimate about uh, 200 gigawatts of onshore wind uh, by 2050, 45 gigawatts of uh, offshore wind by um, 2050 each year, and for solar, um, over 350 uh, gigawatts each year. Um, and all in all, if you add those intensities together, we're looking at at least five and a half million tons of demand um, that wasn't there before each year. So very that, interesting. That's obviously quite a step change. Just a bit of context, roughly how big is the aluminium market this year? Um, this year, it's about uh, 70 million uh, tons of demand. And that's so yeah. quite a sizable chunk there of yeah. additional demand coming from this application. Um, one thing I'd say, just to give a bit of a copper context to that, um, I think when you think long-term copper demand, I think it's even more closely linked to the, the green transition, be that electric vehicles, grid upgrades, or or renewable power. Um, we do expect an expansion in the uh, copper market, but that expansion is really contingent on growth in these markets. And I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that without the green transition, the copper market could flatline. So while from what you're saying, it's going to be supportive and important for for growth in the aluminium space, I think in Absolutely. the copper space, it's, it's crucial. It's without it then all of these expectations about uh, long-term supply shortages or, or or need or the need for new projects in the copper market is going to be uh, curtailed certainly so i think the next question and potentially the final question looking at looking at the clock is dimitri what's our long-term views on really the share of coal in the fuel mix and, and what are the key kind of upside and downside risks here? Yeah, um, so in terms of the um, share in the fuel mix, so at the moment globally coal is around 35% of um, total electricity generation and we think that by 2040 it will decrease to 15%. 
So uh, a substantial decline, but um, some some could say not um, fast enough, um, and that will result in um, seaborne imports uh, declining from around 930 million tons um, at the moment to 570 million tons in uh, 2040. Um, in terms of the risks, um, so upside risks for so for coal demand, I think if the rollout of the renewables is not fast enough, so if there is an insufficient funding um, or some restrictions on uh, capacities rollout, um, that would mean that we will need more fossil fuel generation and um, particularly from from coal. Um, also, maybe a shortage of gas in in the long term. So, in in many countries, um, more countries um, willing to uh, kind of increase the share of gas in the fuel mix instead of coal. But if there are some issues with production, um, then um, again, that that could result in a higher demand for coal. Or maybe generally, if the economic performance globally is faster, much faster than we anticipate, and particularly the growth in um, electricity demand is much stronger, then um, yeah, the renewables rollout, even if it's um, going at very good pace, it still might not be fast enough, and that will result in uh, more um, fossil fuels generation required from gas and, and coal. Um, in terms of the downside risks, I think um, at the moment, the most countries or a lot of countries, uh, well, while the, there is a plan in most countries to phase out coal in some countries, um, particularly say in, in India, um, the coal generation is, is still going to grow um, very strongly in the, in the coming years. And um, that means that um, the emissions globally from the electricity sector, they uh, might not be falling fast enough um, to meet the Paris Agreement goals. And in that case, um, basically the governments will have to take further steps to um, kind of in increase the renewables rollout and uh, decrease the share of coal. And um, maybe there will be some announcements at the upcoming COP meeting how the countries or governments are planning to do that and from that there could be yeah some substantial downsides to coal generation um in the long term yeah i think the announcements um that we're seeing seeing at cop um really are going to be so crucial in deciding which path our energy mix takes and deciding how and where future energy infrastructures look like so with that i think i'll close out so my main takeaway today i would say is there's going to be winners and losers in the energy transition however the pace of any change and the speed of any change is going to be largely decided by governments to some extent uh, there's a lot of seemingly quite hard to shift and fairly sticky markets here um, and there's going to need to be more targets if renewables are going to take a larger share than than we're currently thinking. So at the moment, I'd say, judging by some of our some of our expectations, we're a way off a 1.5 degree world. But 
as Dimitri so nicely put, the future is uncertain and we will see what happens. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us and please do tune in for future sessions looking at electric vehicles and recycling markets. Thank you.